We are in a series called Teach Us to Pray. And I want to preach a message today called God's Perfect Timing. In order to preach that, just to re-engage you a little bit, I'm going to ask you to do something I've never done to you this year. Um, I want to ask you to, to proclaim something. There's something powerful about proclaiming something into your life. So I'm going to ask you, it's like nine words total, but I want you to say it out loud with me. Are you ready? <clears throat> cool. Ten people. All right. I want everybody to do it though, um, or I'm going to do it over and over again until everybody does. Okay. Here's what I want you to say. I'm still here. God's not done. There's more. One more time. I'm still here. God's not done. There is more. I came to prophetically proclaim into your life today that if 2020 didn't take you out, come on somebody, if Y2K didn't take you out, if the 80s didn't take you out, and if God let you survive the 60s and 70s and you're still here, if you still have breath in your lungs and blood flowing through your body, then God's not done and there is more. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus did not just tell people what to do. He showed them. So if you want to see something, you got to be something. You are not going to see what you say, but you may begin to see who you are. Jesus didn't just tell people what to do because that's easy. He took the time, effort, energy to train them. So here's what Jesus did in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. This is where we get the framework of how we should pray. Many people refer to this as the Our Father. Jesus was praying in a certain place. If you have an analog Bible and a pen, that'd be a great thing to circle, underline. And when he ceased, because everybody knew that they don't interrupt Jesus when he's praying. <laughs> I'm sorry. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So they saw something in Jesus and in John that they wanted to operate in. So point number one today, here's what I want you to, this is a practical point because I'm about to give you a, a whole lot of information and, and lead you out of here with a really powerful, as powerful of a send-off as I can, but I gotta give you some practical to the powerful. Number one, you need to pick a place and you need to pray. Jesus showed them how important it was. The Bible said Jesus was praying in a certain place. And you may be like me. You have multiple places because you can't sit still. And so I have multiple places. And you may, you may pick a place at the office. You may pick a place on your lunch break. You may pick a place early in the morning. You may pick a place on the couch. Don't lay down because you'll go back to sleep. And Mike already told us Jesus doesn't like that. Uh, <laughs> but pick a place in the evening. Yes, hear me. Yes, you should pray without ceasing. You should pray in the spirit at all times. You should constantly be in a proactive mentality of prayer. But you have to have a specific time. You have to have a specific place. And if you don't, that's why you're not praying. Yeah, I thought it was going to feel that way. But when you do, you will. I didn't say this in first service. You don't have a meeting this week 
that's more important than the prayer meeting that you're supposed to have with Jesus. There's not another meeting, not another appointment that you can make this week that is more important than the prayer meeting that you are supposed to have consistently with your Savior. But you have to pick a place and you have to pray. And when you don't, you don't walk around in condemnation. Why? Because condemnation is you feeling guilty over something you can't do anything about. But conviction is the Holy Spirit going, hello. It's a simple adjustment. All you have to do is schedule it. I really am more important than your TiVo. Does anybody still have that? Than your YouTube TV. <laughs> than your hopper. I don't know what you got. Whatever it is, you schedule that and you show up. Jesus is saying, hey, whatever you think is important, it doesn't trump me unless you let it. Pick a place and pray. Daniel did this. We're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Daniel today. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. I just want you to see this. The Bible says he, Daniel, Daniel went into his house, specific place, where the windows of his upper room are open towards Jerusalem. Why? Because God's eyes are always on Jerusalem. God's eyes are always on Israel, his people in the Old Testament under the original covenant. There's an original covenant and there's a new covenant and God honors all of them. Y'all okay? The Bible said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That is application to the original covenant and the new covenant, not one or the other. And I don't have time to argue that and I don't want to. If that's what you believe, you can believe whatever you want to. I'm going to go with scripture. His, I'm sorry, his upper room opened towards Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed. And even though he was living in the house of a tyrannical psychopath. He prayed and he thanked God. He did it three times a day, every day. You think it's bad in America? You should have been in Babylon. And yet every day he got on his knees and he prayed and thanked God. And by the way, this is what got him thrown in a lion's den. And he should have died, but it wasn't God's time. So the Bible says an angel of the Lord came down and shut the mouths of the lion. The Lord can shut the devil's mouth anytime he gets ready to. But he needs the people of God to be obedient to his word. And when Daniel was obedient to his word, the angel came down, shut the mouth of the enemy, and Daniel rested in the place where he was supposed to die. He woke up the next morning laying, using the lions as a pillow. Come on, somebody. That is called resting in the Lord. They open up the den, and Daniel is alive, so they threw his accusers into the lion's den, and his accusers had to answer for his obedience. I ain't even supposed to be preaching this part. This is why T.D. Jakes takes so long to make a point, but I'm going to go with it anyways. If you will stay the course and be obedient to the voice of God, then God will take Take the accusers of the brethren and he will throw them in the den that they wanted him to punish them with. Your accusers will have to give an account for your obedience. Throw them in the den, Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not necessarily the attitude that we're supposed to have, but that's how faithful God is. All right, now fast forward. Knowing that, fast forward to Daniel chapter 9. And I have a lot of verses, but I'm not going to go through all of them. I weeded through this as much as I could for the sake of time, but it's going to get a little thick. 
Okay, so if you're like me and you have a hard time staying in one place at a time or listening for more than 30 minutes, then walk in the Spirit and don't gratify the desires of your flesh. All right, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, in the first year of Darius's reign. How do I know that? Because of verse 1. In the first year of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, now Daniel's writing in Hebrew. He wrote part of his prophetic book in Aramaic for the people that were going, excuse me, going to read it at that time. And he wrote this part of this book in Hebrew because this part was for God's people. He says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So here's what's happening. Daniel is reading Jeremiah chapter 29, and he knows verse 10, where the Lord says, after 70 years in Babylon, I will visit you. And Daniel, being in the first year of the reign of Darius, recognizes we have been here for 67 years. I am seeing prophecy fulfilled before my very eyes. So watch his response to the prophecy. Please notice, Daniel woke up your sleepy neighbor. Daniel responded to the prophecy by not just assuming that it was going to come to pass because God said. His response to what God proclaimed was verse three. So I turned my face to the Lord and I began to seek him in prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. In other words, God, I believe so much in what you've said that I'm going to show you. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to find you when I seek you with all of my heart, which was verse 12 and 13 of Jeremiah 29. Why? Because Daniel knew that God had said, I am the Lord thy God, and I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans to prosper and not to harm. They are plans to give you hope and a future. It may look like you're never going to get out of here, but I prophesied it through Jeremiah. It's coming to pass right now. So as Bishop Jakes would say, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. It's about to come to pass. And Daniel got excited. And he started praying for the nation and the sins of the nation. He started praising God for who he was. And we see him do all these things for the next 15 verses. Why? Because Daniel understood he was there. There were three deportations of the Israelites. This is where you're gonna have to hone in, and I'll let you know when you're gonna have to hone in again because it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and then all of a sudden, like confetti everywhere. That's what God has done with this Palm Sunday. That's why I wore my LSU Palm shirt. All right, so we're gonna, (laughs) we go deeper into God's word. Three deportations, three. 605 BC was the first deportation of the Jewish people out of Jerusalem and into Babylon. The second deportation, just a few years later, took place in 597. And then the third and the last one, that's the one that we read about in the book of Jeremiah when it took place in 586. 
Okay, so you have multiple prophets in the Old Testament who were in Babylon. Ezra, Ezekiel, Nehemiah, Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. Who are those people? That was uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I just don't call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego whenever I'm referring to them because that wasn't the name that God gave them. And the last time I checked, the enemy doesn't get to determine your identity. Come on, somebody. So uh, all of these prophets were, you see how hard this is to stay on course? I have attention hyperactive something too, okay? God can just use it for his glory. So Daniel is writing this, Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, 1 through 4, right here. He's writing this at about 80 years old. We know that the first year of Darius' reign, this is history. This isn't an assumption. This is actual history. The first year of the reign of Darius, who would become the overseer of the Persian Empire, who overthrew the Babylonian Empire, in an evening, by the way, that was in 538 BC. So 605, come on, hang in here with me, all you non-math people. Hi, my name is Chris. I used a calculator. 605 minus 538 is 67 years. Daniel's in the 67th year of Babylonian captivity, and yet he is an overseer in a godless nation. He's still anointed, and he still has authority. So if Daniel can walk in anointing and authority in the house of a tyrant, then what's our excuse? The darker it gets around you, the brighter God wants to shine through you. It's just who he is. It's going to get worse, but you're going to become more like Jesus. You're not just going to be better. You're going to become more like him. So Daniel, look at his response. Again, verse three, we saw it. Number two, this is our point. We don't just need to pray. We need to pray God's promises. We need to prophetically pray. Now, that means you, you gotta take the time to learn some of them. Where there's so many, I know, isn't that cool? You will never arrive. You get to spend the rest of your life learning the 3,000 promises of God. And then you pray them and you prophesy into your life and the lives of the people around you. Why, if God already promised them, aren't they gonna come to pass? Yeah, they are gonna come to pass, but if you're not praying them and watching for them, you might not be a part of it. And I don't want them to just come to pass with me being a spectator. I want the promises of God to come to pass because he's using me to participate. Come on, somebody. I want to be in the game, not on the sidelines. And I definitely don't want to be in the stands or watching at home as an armchair quarterback thinking of how much better I am than the people that are not actually doing something with their lives. <laughs> that ain't even what. All right. So watch Daniel's response. So Daniel's response to the promise was to pray it. Daniel's response to the prophecy was to pray it, not to assume that it was going to happen. This is so important. We cannot assume. James said, you have not because you ask not. Even though it's there, even though it's on the way, this is why it's so important that we don't stop offering unanswered prayers. But keep praying. You got to keep praying. You have to keep seeking. You continually call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because we're not seeking his promise. We're seeking his presence. And the presence has always been more important than the promise. So when we seek his presence, watch. Daniel 
chapter 9, verse 21, after he essentially dictates his prayer for us, the Bible says, while I was still praying, I love that. How cool would it be if like you were in the middle of your prayer and an angel showed up with the answer? <laughs> That's kind of like that time that while Peter was still speaking because he wouldn't shut up, the Holy Spirit was like, okay, I'm done. That's enough. I'll do your altar call for you. <laughs> while I was still praying, that was funnier in first service. I'm just gonna keep going. While I was still praying, Gabriel, and some versions of the text say Gabriel the man. I have to designate this for you. Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, how do we know he's not a man? Because of the next line. Came to me in swift flight. Okay, um, as a predominant rule, men do not come in swift flight. That's just, it's not what we do. So we assume that this is Gabriel, the archangel that we see all throughout Scripture. There were three archangels. I'm going to give you this real quick. Gabriel, the messenger angel. Michael, heaven's bouncer. Michael was the one who God called upon when there was war or there were issues going on, okay? Now, I didn't name my son Michael because I don't want him to fight all the time. I, <laughs> I named him Gabriel Rayan, which actually means messenger favored by God. No pressure, son. I'm just saying. It's your idea. It's never mind. Okay. So that's what we're praying, and that's what we were praying that he would become. But this is Gabriel, the archangel, the angel of the message of God. That's why he shows up with a message. Michael, the archangel, the angel of God who shows up to defeat the enemy and the warrior of heaven. And then the third one, his name was Lucifer. And that one didn't work out well. Lucifer, according to Isaiah 11 and Ezekiel 28, Lucifer was the archangel of worship. So you have the word of God, you have the war of heaven, and you have the worship of God. And Lucifer chose to receive God's glory for himself. Instead of being a reflection, he became a receiver. Sound familiar? And when he did this in abundance, God <laughs> told Michael, all right, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And, and a third of heaven went with him, and Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. See, Lucifer was his identity, but Satan is what he chose. And then, this is God in his holiness, and this is extra time. God in his holiness decided, you know what, I got to replace Lucifer. So the Bible says the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. And he spoke into the waters and he said, let there be light. And then the last thing that God did before he rested was he told his, all of his angels that were still there with him, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And Paul wrote that God created man in his image and for his glory. For what? To replace Lucifer. That's why we have a choice. And we get to choose. Are we heaven's worship leader? Are we just like the world? So Gabriel shows up to Daniel. And Gabriel begins to give Daniel this message. He begins to prophetically proclaim, watch, at the time of the evening sacrifice. I don't want to overpreach this, but that's really significant because they have not had an evening sacrifice in 67 years. Because they weren't allowed to have their sacrifices in Babylon or under Persian rule. The temple has been destroyed 
Ezra, Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah have not been back yet. So the walls have not been rebuilt, the altars have not been rebuilt, and the temple has not been rebuilt. And yet Daniel still writes down that Gabriel decided to come at the time of the evening sacrifice. Why? Because just about 480 years later, which you're going to see how specific God is here in just a second, Jesus Christ shows up. He carries his cross up the hill of Golgotha. We know for a fact, according to history, that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified around lunch, and at the time of the evening sacrifice, he declared, to heaven, hell, and everything in between. It is finished. The sacrificial lamb gave his life once and for all, and Daniel recorded it because that's what was going to happen. All right, verse 22. Y'all with me? That's good. Ten people are. Everybody else, hone in. Catch up. Verse 22. Daniel, Gabriel instructed me, Daniel says, and spoke with me saying, Oh, Daniel, I have come now, not later. This is specific. God's timing is perfect. In other words, he's like, I have been waiting for this. By the way, the next thing that Gabriel is really excited about is this trumpet that God owns that's sitting right there. And Gabriel's just sitting there looking at like, I wish you would. Just, I mean, look over here. And I'm going to, all right, anyway. So Gabriel, he's excited about it. He says, oh, Daniel, I have come now, right now. I've been waiting for this. And I want to give you insight and understanding. Verse 23, at the beginning of your petitions. So when you first started praying, this is so good. I could T.D. Jakes this unintentionally. If I'm not careful, I got to keep going. At the beginning of your request, an answer went out. I came to tell somebody today that when you first started praying, God started sending. You're not waiting on him. He's waiting on you. He wants to reveal it as long as you keep receiving what God has already declared. The answer went out whenever you started asking. So don't stop asking because the answer's on the way. I got to get back in it. I have come to tell you, you are highly precious. That'd have been like, okay, Gabriel, you're precious too. <laughs> so consider the message and understand the vision. Okay, listen, God's not trying to trick you. And people have debated the next few scriptures for centuries. And they argue about it. And you got some people that believe the Bible is just an allegory. Obviously, Daniel believed in a literal translation. And then some people that believe everything is literal, but Gabriel is about to tell Daniel of things that are going to come. So we believe in descriptive language, imagery, and a literal translation. And we just happen to know a Holy Spirit who helps us discern between the two. Are y'all okay? Sweet. Five people, everybody else, it's all right. We're going to bring you with us on this journey. Verse 24, 70 weeks, this is the words of Gabriel. Remember, he says, I'm going to help you understand. You're going to get this. 70 weeks are decreed. Now, very few versions actually translate this properly. It says 70 weeks. In fact, I think it's only the revived standard version that actually adds of years. Because this is Jewish language. Remember, Daniel's writing in Hebrew, not English. 
So we translated this into English and we said 70 weeks. But the original language would have been 70 weeks of years. In fact, when they say of years, they think something specific. So if I were to tell you, hey, I'm going on a trip and I'll be back in a decade, you assume that I mean 10 years. So when Daniel wrote that Gabriel told him, hey, 70 weeks of years, a Jewish person would look at that and assume that Daniel was saying seven years because we think in units of 10, but Jewish people and the people of the original covenant thought in, 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 in terms of sevens, which is why our dates don't always match up from the Gregorian calendar to the Jewish calendar. All right, I'll keep going. 70 weeks of seven years. So that's 490 years because seven times seven is 49. Okay. And these years are decreed for your people and your holy city. Watch this. Six things. To stop their transgression. Now that would be cool, but that hasn't happened yet. Right? Like anybody scroll on Facebook instead of reading their Bible this morning? It's okay. This is a safe place. It's a safe place. <laughs> If you've read anything recently, you can see that people have not stopped their transgressions. And then number two, to put an end to sin. In other words, open and hidden. To put an end to sin. That one hasn't taken place yet. Here's the third thing. To make atonement for iniquity. That's even sinful desire. And by the way, that one's happened. Because Jesus Christ bled and shed from his body blood and water. It's okay, right here. And the blood of Jesus is enough to get you into the presence of God. Oh, I almost want to preach right here, but I just need you to understand. You need nothing else. If the blood of Jesus isn't enough to get you into the presence of God, then it doesn't matter how many stages of the afterlife you go through, you ain't getting there. Either the blood of Jesus was enough or we're not going to make it. And the blood of Jesus was enough. And he made atonement in seven different places. And we've preached that before, but I don't have time today. And then to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, I've read about it, but I hadn't seen it yet. So I keep praying for it. And to seal up vision and prophecy. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know it's fast, but I've been studying this stuff. And, and if you studied as much as I've had to in order to communicate it, then you would be even better at it than me because I'm really not that gifted to communicate fully. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that right now we prophesy in part, but then we'll prophesy in whole. Right now we know in part, but then we will know in full. Why? When the day of perfection comes. That's why the cessationist is wrong. These things have not ceased yet. They will on the day of perfection, but that vision and that prophecy will be sealed up on that day. And here's the sixth thing, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, the most holy place to Daniel was the temple that didn't exist, that was rebuilt and then destroyed in around 70 AD by Alexander the Great, who was probably not in heaven. <laughs> but it's going to be rebuilt again, one final time. But we understand, come on, we understand the original covenant 
and the new covenant because our belief is not just Christian and it's certainly not just Jew. Our belief is Judeo-Christian. So we see the original temple under the original covenant, but we also know that in the new covenant, there's a new temple and the Holy Spirit dwells within us because we are, whoo, it's we, and yet we're still not as anointed as we're gonna be. The most holy place is not even a place anymore. It's a people. It's more than a building. It's about the people that gather in the name of Jesus and come to the building. All six, only one of them has taken place. And it's the one that's right in the middle, as if it's the heart of the matter, that Jesus Christ made atonement. Jesus Christ made atonement. 70 weeks of seven years, 490 years of prophecy. You good? I wish I was done. I do because I'm hurting but I'm not, he actually breaks it down even further. And this is where you've gotta put on your full set of waders, like hip boots is not gonna work, you're gonna go under, okay? We're waiting like Ezekiel, all the way out in the river on this one. Verse 25, verse 25, know and understand this. Why does Gabriel keep saying that? Because he wants us to comprehend what he is communicating. Know and understand this. From the issuance of the decree, who issued it? Artaxerxes, in the second chapter of Nehemiah, he sent them back. So from the Artaxerxes issuance of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Mashiach Nagid. What is that? Messiah the Prince. That is the prophesied Messiah. He's the one that will fulfill over 360 prophecies within 33 years. He is the one that you're looking for. David talks about him. Isaiah talks about him. And Gabriel, the messenger angel, talks to Daniel about him. So from the time of the decree that King Artaxerxes will give and allow Nehemiah to go back and build the wall to the time of Mashiach Nagid, Messiah the Prince. His name is Jesus. I'll come right back to it there will be seven weeks of seven years that's 49 years and 62 weeks of seven years which is 434 years and it all will be rebuilt with the streets and a trench but in times of distress in other words this isn't the end because 62 plus 7 is Okay, some of you, there's some math whizzes in here this morning. 62 plus 7 is 69, and Gabriel has prophesied 70 weeks. But here's what he says, because 62 plus 7 is 69, and we understand that it's 69 weeks of seven years, so we're talking about 483 years. Ask your neighbor if they're okay. Now ask the neighbor that you don't care about as much as the one that you just asked. (laughs) Man, I hope you chose your spouse on the first one. (laughs) If not, this is a safe place. It's a place of forgiveness and grace. (laughs) And you better hope that she believes in mercy. Verse, Verse 26, watch this. After the 62 weeks, total of 69 weeks, Because the seven weeks took place first, and then the 62 weeks. 
So after a total of 69 weeks, the Messiah, Mashiach Nagid, will be cut off and will have nothing. So after 483 years, Gabriel told Daniel, after 483 years, guys, this is God's perfect timing. So I want you to write this note. I don't know what you've been praying. I don't know what you've been asking. I don't know what you've been calling upon God for. I don't know what you stopped praying. I don't know when and I don't know why. All I know is number three, God's timing is and always has been absolutely perfect. God's timing is perfect. Can I, well, I'm going to anyways, but I wanna request that like you hone in and understand how Perfect. I've got to show you on this LSU Palm Shirt Sunday how, how perfect his timing is. Luke chapter 19. 483 perfect years, many scholars believe, to the day. Jesus Christ sent his disciples into Jerusalem and told them to bring him back the colt of a donkey. That's not probably what I would have chosen to ride into town on. Like a Mustang convertible. <laughs> Jesus said, go get a colt of a donkey. What? Because kings and royalty would ride in on donkeys but Jesus didn't wanna just show his kingship, he wanted to show his humility and his purity within his kingship. So verse 36, as he came into town on a donkey, <laughs> I'm sorry, every year, I'm like, Jesus, I can't get that out of my head, bro. <laughs> Here he comes on his donkey, but it was a little donkey, so he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> This is how I read the Bible. I don't have a disorder. I'm just hyperactive. I don't know what to tell you. Why are you yelling at these 10-year-olds on this baseball field? I didn't know I was yelling. All right, I'm sorry. As he rode along on his little tiny colt, the people spread their cloaks on the road because they didn't want him to fall off. Verse 37 why? And as he approached the descent from the Mount of Olives, don't miss this, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully in a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. Now, this wasn't actually a really good reason to begin to give God praise. You should not give God praise necessarily just for the things that he can do. We give God praise for who he is. You can start with what he's done, but you got to, at some point, begin to move to who he is. You can follow Jesus for a moment because of what you believe he can do for you, but at the end of it all, you got to follow Jesus because he's Jesus. And they didn't understand that. And watch what happens. Verse 38, they're shouting, they're praising God. Blessed is the King, Mashiach Nagid. This is the first time down to the day Artaxerxes decreed it. Gabriel prophesied it, and Jesus rides into town 483 years into God's perfect time.
timing and the people shout blessed is the king Mashiach Nagid who comes in the name of the Lord and all the religiously arrogant superficial people began to try to shut down the celebration and Jesus said if I tell them to stop these stones are going to start screaming because they've been sitting here since Nehemiah put them into place these rocks have been waiting 483 years for Mashiach Nagid to ride into Jerusalem on this day so if I stop the people these rocks are going to freak you out man Isn't it scary how all of creation has to cry out in our place when we don't do what God created us to do? I got to keep going. Verse 41, and as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. I have never understood this scripture until right now. Well, this week. Why? Why did God, why did Jesus start crying the people are shouting and praising taking off their jackets and throwing them on the ground for the cult to walk on and yet jesus looks up from the cult and he sees jerusalem the holy city of god he knows that all of heaven has its eye on this city and he looks and he starts to weep and he says in verse 42 if only you had known If only you had known that on this very day, Gabriel told Daniel and Daniel told you that your peace would be in this place right now. And instead of celebrating with his people, Jesus is weeping because they did not recognize their very own prophesied Mashiach Nagid. Jesus wept because it was hidden from their eyes. Verse 44 says, and they will level you to the ground. And we know that in 70 AD, it took place. You and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God, even though I came on the day that Gabriel told Daniel I was going to come. Isn't it interesting that Daniel was praying about captivity in the Babylonian and Persian Empire and Gabriel came in the middle of his prayer and interrupted him and began to reveal to him exceedingly and abundantly more than he could have even imagined and or known to ask. Here's the good news. I'm still here. (laughs) This is why he opened with this. God's not done. There is more. Some of you need to prophesy that. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what's hurt you. I don't know what almost took you out. All I know is that you get to look in the face of the devil and you get to tell him in the name of Jesus, by the blood of the lamb, I'm still here. God's not done. I know that there is more. Why? Point number four, because we got one more week, y'all. The 70th week has not come to pass. See, there's a prophetic parenthesis 
between the 483rd year and the 490th year. The prophetic parentheses name is Jesus. And currently, we are the dash between Messiah being, watch, I'll show you, verse 26. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. Then the people of the prince, not Messiah, not Mashiach Nagid, but the little p, the prince, the false prophet, the Antichrist, not the one Messiah Christ, the king, but the little p, prince who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. Verse 27, and he will confirm a covenant with many for one more week. See, we have one more week. We have one more week, and here's where I'm going to end, and they're going to help me. See, Gabriel prophesied to Daniel about what was going to come to pass, and then Luke wrote about the day that Jesus entered in through the triumphal entry, and the, the, the triumphal entry that was, by the way, supposed to be, according to Gabriel and Daniel's prophecy. Oh, come on, but we got one more week, because John the Revelation wrote about the triumphal entry that was about to be and it still is about to be these are the days where the prophecy is beginning to come alive we are watching prophecy be fulfilled by our very eyes and you got to help me so I don't hurt myself and I might do it anyways see if a day is like a thousand years and a day and a thousand years is like a day unto the Lord then imagine what God can do in just one week see Last week, last week, Jesus looked at Jerusalem and he began to weep. But next week, Jesus Christ is going to come and rule over all of creation. Last week, he rode into town on a colt. But next week, he's coming in the clouds on a great white horse. Last week, Jesus Christ allowed himself to be crucified. And if you're cold right now, then you can clap your hands, all your people, and shout unto God with a voice to try her because next week Jesus Christ is going to be placed on a throne and of his government and the increase of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because I don't want to miss it. And Jesus warned us See, if you take Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and you put them together, it's called the parallel passage. And Jesus is describing what's going to happen in the last days. And he tells us, you can't know the day or the hour. If you knew the day or the hour, it wouldn't matter anyways because we already tried that. You can't know the day nor the hour, but you can know the season. So here's what he says. I believe it's verse 36. Thank you, Jesus. You better watch. And you better pray. Always. Remember the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, you better wake up. Because I'm not coming back for a sleepy church. I'm not coming back for a lazy church. And I'm not coming back for a loveless church. But the church who is awake and alive. 
they will be counted worthy to escape all the things that are going to happen in that last week. And after they escape all the things because they endured until the end, the accuser of the brethren is going to have to give an account of the obedient. And you, the obedient in Christ, will stand before the Son of Man for a thousand years. There's one more week. There's one more week. And today is God's perfect timing for you to not just attend another service on another Palm Sunday, but to understand scripture and prophecy in a way that you've never understood it before so that you can respond in a way that you've never responded before. And that's too good to be me. That's got to be the voice of God. So I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes, but not to get your stuff and leave. Because I need you to examine. God has revealed himself too much for us to be excused from accountability. But his grace is sufficient. So if you were more excited about who God was and is than you are right now, then guess what? Today is the day that the Lord has made. And you should begin to pray, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. But if you've never received salvation, then this is God's perfect timing. Palm Sunday, 2023. You're gonna be able to tell the enemy for the rest of your life, I gave my life to Jesus on that day and I have followed him with all of my heart ever since. So if that's you, I'm not gonna ask you to stand. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. You know who you are because the Holy Spirit's telling you right now. If that's you, I want you to open your hands right where you are and just begin to pray. It really is as easy as ABC to begin this journey with Jesus. Ask him to forgive you for where you've fallen short. Ask him to forgive you where you've been distracted. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And in raising him, he overcame death, hell, and the grave for you. And now confess him as Lord. See, a lot of people ask Jesus to be their savior. They just don't confess him as Lord of their lives. Confess him as Lord. I want to talk to every follower of Jesus as you examine your heart. Do you have a place to pray? Is it scheduled? Is it on your weekly calendar? Have you been honoring the appointment? It's a simple adjustment. But it's so important because Jesus said, watch ye therefore and pray always. Because the next time I come, I want you to be ready because I'm going to take you with me if you are. There are a few people in here that you forgot God's timing is perfect and you stopped praying. And today is the day that you rejuvenate your request because your answer is on the way. If you'll continue to seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. So you, as our superintendent challenge us, you do not stop 
offering unanswered prayers.